Hey, it's Alan Berg. Are you coming to Wedding MBA this year? Well, I'll be there again. I haven't missed one since the first one in 2007. So I look forward to seeing you there. And if you want to save $20 off the current ticket price and they get higher as you get closer, go to WeddingMBA.com. Use the promo code Alan, A-L-A-N. WeddingMBA.com, promo code Alan, save $20. I look forward to seeing you there. Before we get into this episode, I'm starting something called Ask Me Anything. That's right. You submit your questions and they could become an entire episode or something that I answer at the end of an episode. To submit your questions, look for the red button at podcast.allenberg.com. That's right, podcast.allenberg.com. Click on the red button, submit your question, and maybe you'll hear it here on the podcast. Thanks. When I think about my series, The Pivot, I think about a few people specifically, and my next guest, a good friend, has pivoted so many times, I'm getting dizzy, but you're going to want to hear all about this. Welcome to another episode of the Wedding Business Solutions Podcast. I'm your host, Alan Berg, speaker, author, sales trainer, website reviewer, here to help you in your wedding and event business sell more, profit more, and have more fun doing it. Enjoy this episode. Welcome to another episode of the Wedding Business Solutions Podcast and my series on The Pivot. And I am so happy to see, although not in person, my good friend, Catherine Ham. Catherine, welcome. Alan, hey, it's so good to see you. It is so good to see you. I, and I can't wait for us to be together again, maybe sharing a little bourbon, you know, might be, might be doing that. All right. A little conversation, a meal and a <laughs> hug would be fantastic. Oh, it would be wonderful. So when I was thinking about you for the pivot, I had something else in mind. And then all of a sudden I get this news alert about a new pivot for you. One that I'm going to say it kind of came out of left field, but kind of not. And so you and I go back to our days when you were uh, working with, uh, not working with, you were president of GayWeddings.com mm -hmm. and then became part of Wedding Wire mm -hmm. and working our way through there. And you were talking about LGBTQ uh, issues. And then you pivoted to diversity issues. And now you are chief operating officer and co-owner of the Cook Political Report, <laughs> which is why my head is spinning here. So take us back to take everybody back to the days when we first met uh, LGBTQ issues and uh, GayWeddings.com. So how did how did that come about? Sure. Because you had to pivot to that, right? Right. You know, I, first, I would say that when I think about the pivot piece, I feel like I'm always constantly evolving as a business person. And, you know, before I ended up joining my mom in the business, GayWeddings.com, I was actually an educator. And I worked for the Women's Professional Soccer League, the WSA. So I had already, I felt like, had several sort of job hats, if you will. And each entrepreneurial inspiration and opportunity would come along. And there was always a through line of work for me. And it was that I was doing things that I felt mattered, um, that I was passionate about, and that made a difference in the world. Uh, I am truly an educator at heart. And so when you and I met, I think about this all the time, actually, when I'm at the Kennedy Center. It was WeddingWare's first in-person conference, and you and I were both speakers. It was really my first big stage debut. Your wife, Carol, was there, uh, and we had a great opportunity connecting and talking and getting to know one another. I'm, little did I know that this would actually lead to a connection of becoming much more active uh, in the sort of speaking circuit, if you will, out in conferences, but also working with the WeddingWire team and feeling connected to 
the company's mission, to the culture, uh, and to being able to educate and lead. And so this is where you and I share a lot in common, and I know you understand this part of what excites me. So my specialty at the time was same-sex weddings, and it was a time, you know, um, let's see, I joined my mom in the business in 2004, and um, Obergefell passed uh, the Supreme Court, uh, and marriage was legalized nationwide in 2015. So there were a lot of years there where I was having conversations with folks trying to say, look, there is a market segment here that is having ceremonies, in some cases legal, in some cases not, and they're looking for your support. Um, they need help figuring out what to do because we didn't have a roadmap um, for the LGBTQ community. And similarly, we had wedding professionals who needed to learn a little bit more. And as I was teaching and learning along the way in this, I realized, boy, especially in evolution with the LGBTQ community, is we had more work to do to broaden our understanding around how we talk about sexual orientation and gender identity. But it also became very clear to me who else was missed in the wedding market. And, you know, you've heard me on my soapbox that men are largely overlooked and ignored in the industry. And certainly people of color have been overlooked. And that's not just in the magazines and basically through um, the advertising and marketing dialogue, if you will. Um, but, you know, the industry has been doing a lot of work lately in recognizing that there are so many incredibly talented vendors of color who aren't at the tables, who don't have the opportunity through referrals, through being business owners and decision makers. And so it was really continuing to ask some of the same questions of our industry, but to still say who else isn't at the table? How else can we do better at our job? So that's the evolution there. Uh, I can pause and or just keep going into how in the world did I go from weddings <laughs> to politics all of which I'd say well, well, are let's handy, get to, skills, let's, handy yes. skills for a cocktail party I'll tell you <laughs> especially in the Washington DC area so it certainly helps there um all right so let's take a pause there because sure. there's actually an article in the New York Times I just saw the it. other day about yeah. uh, and I'm not sure that I agreed with everything about the premise because there are a lot of people it was talking about how people of color and minorities were excluded from vendor preferred lists and I think there are a lot of people who don't fall into those categories that would say they're also excluded from those lists. So mm -hmm. I think the article missed some pieces of that, which is, you know, how do you get on the list is not because you need to be white, uh, right? There's a lot of people that don't go on those lists because they're just not in those circles. They don't want to pay to play, which is, was one of the things in the article and stuff mm -hmm. like that. But the idea of, yeah, there's a lot of people that just aren't at a lot of tables. Um, and some of them don't know the tables exist. And mm -hmm. some of them do and just can't get mm -hmm. in. They can't, mm -hmm. can't get you know into the club, if you will. So going back to what you said about you know people not knowing what they don't know, and I remember I was vice president of sales at the Knot in two thousand four when Massachusetts you know said same sex marriage is legal, and again we didn't know. Although the Knot had been talking about same sex couples almost from the beginning. I remember there was couple of the year one year where two women named Chrissy. You know <laughs> they they were doing this long before two thousand four. Um, but there was a language problem, right? We didn't didn't know how to talk about this. And even in those years from 2004 to 2015, and even to today, there's so many people that just don't understand that some of the things they're saying on their websites or saying in their marketing are being exclusive, not just to the LGBT community, but to everybody uh, with their photos. Uh, I did a presentation at a, at a conference and I put up a photo of a white couple, you know, a man and a black tuxedo and a woman in a white dress. And I said, if this is what you're showing on your website, that's okay if all of your customers look like that. 
but your customers don't necessarily look like that. And I started showing different pictures and I had mixed race couples and I had same sex couples and I had people that were tall and short and thin and heavy. And, you know, they didn't look like the models in the magazines. I said, this is your customers. And if they see themselves, they're going to feel more welcomed. So I'm trying to get that message out there too. And the wording, the pictures and all those things. Okay, so. Well, and I would just say two things. The first is beyond just the marketing piece, right, is who's on your team. Yeah. You know, we know that when you have more voices at the table, uh, there is a more rich conversation, more rich opportunity, and it shifts how your business and thinking and doing. And what I would say is I continue to see the blind spots, which is how do we check a box and consider that enough? The second thing I just want to say quickly about that New York Times piece um, that I, I just think to the extent that we can hold on to it, there's value in holding on to the, the racialized lens around explaining this phenomenon. Because I understand that there are many folks that are excluded. And, you know, I experienced the wedding industry as a little bit of a cool kids um, industry. And um, it often felt to me a little bit of like what I experienced in middle and high school. Uh, and I've had the opportunity to be in a place where people were walking away from me because what I was talking about made them uncomfortable at the very beginning to having some sense of respect and appreciation because folks had gotten to know me and appreciated what I brought to the table. So while I take your point, I just would say, I think it's really important that we center the space of what the experience has been like for the vendors of color and what that experience has been around trying to break in because even if there is more inclusion or other people don't necessarily have the same access, there's still a very different dynamic in play. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And, you know, it's something else. And this is goes back to what you said about high school. People self-segregate, right? If you look at a segregated high school and go to the lunchroom and you're going to find people self-segregating by a uh, whatever it is, right? Could be by color, could be by religion, could be by whatever it is. But you see that they have the opportunity, right? They're all in the same room, but they do that. I notice it in my neighborhood, right? We have a very diverse neighborhood. You know the neighborhood because you went to Princeton. Uh, I only get to live near there. You got to go there. Uh, and, <laughs> and, and, I, and I see my neighbors, a very diverse group, and they tend to be clustered by, you know, the South Asians are walking out together and then the, 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 the Chinese are out walking together. You know, not that we don't, intermingle and talk to one another, but you see a lot of this self-segregation. Well, and I would say, I mean, I'm hearing you suggest that that's on the individual to cross the bridge. Mm -hmm. I ask yeah. the question, so why do we do that? And how does that differ for groups who identify as a minority population? Right, right. And it's up to, I think, the the other side, if you will, to invite them in and to see that they're being excluded. Uh, I do this at speaker conferences. I never want to get assigned seating because they're going to sit me with, like, who do you want to sit with? I was like, whoever you put me with. I want to meet new people. I want to be put into that situation where I'm not in the clique because I know, like you said, we know what it's like to be outside of the clique and be excluded. And I have some really good speaker friends that I probably never would have met if I only hung out with the people I already knew. Mm -hmm. And I, I, to me, again, I think that's important. If you see somebody standing by themselves, it's like, hey, come on, come talk to mm -hmm. us. You and, mm -hmm. you and I have done that so many times when we're right. together. It's like, come here, come here. Come yeah. into the I always go find the table in the farthest corner that has a few people sitting and I will make friends with a stick. I'm happy to meet <laughs> people. And 
Same thing. I will go seek out the group where it seems to me folks are not sure who to talk to and it's not that they're actually working, but they're working. And those have actually been my most favorite conversations along the way. Right. Absolutely. So, all right. So now let's talk about the Cook Political Report. Because sure. it, for some people looking at this, it's like, whoa, there's a, a shift. But uh, let's explain first your connection with the Cook Political Report, because this goes back. Sure. Right. It, um, it's safe to say I, uh, family businesses are my jam. <laughs> <laughs> so my wife is a political analyst and she has, so this is her second tour at uh, Cook Political Report. And she is a... Um, is now the publisher and editor-in-chief. And so uh, her mentor and the longtime founder and owner of the Cook Political Report, Charlie Cook, approached us and asked us if we would be interested in basically taking over the business. Um, as it turns out, Amy and I are perfectly suited to each other, as, as we've been laughing, saying this marriage now goes to 11. We, um, you know, I do the business side of things. And so I'm running the business and bringing in a lot of the skills I learned as a small business owner, as an educator, and in building out the technology expression. The Cook Political Report is an independent, nonpartisan, very tiny team of analysts who um, take special care in analyzing U.S. elections and campaigns. So it's a very niche publication. Um, Many of your listeners may have encountered some of the analysts, Amy Walter, David Wasserman, Charlie Cook, for example, on any number of programs, political-oriented programs, or seen them quoted in the papers, they are incredibly well-respected and well-liked in Washington, which probably goes without saying that that in itself is kind of a miracle. This is a town where it's easy to make enemies, but they are trusted by everyone, um, and they are very thoughtful analysts in reading what is the outcome of this race going to be. Um, So, so far we just, it's been a week. So this is brand new sort of being public about it. And, you know, I I was asking myself, how in the world do I possibly explain this pivot, especially when I think about my social media feed and the very more advocacy oriented work I've done. There's a real consistent for me in the ethics and pride in what we do. And that is constantly be building bridges, constantly listening, constantly growing. And I'm really especially in today's climate, I feel very strongly that we continue to model and teach via the Cook Political Report what it means to be an independent thinker, um, for them to be nonpartisan in this time, to earn trust, to offer reliable analysis, because there is a, a voice opportunity that's missing, I think, in the larger discourse. So the deck is stacked a little bit against us in that way, because these guys would rather do long-form, thoughtful um, often not very popular analysis because everyone is accustomed to a hot take. Um, So um, folks that are interested in what I might mean by this, you can go to the website and there are some articles for free and you can sort of see that voice. But, um, you know, relative to my commitment around some of the diversity, equity, and inclusion work I've been doing, because I've been doing that on, I was growing a corporate side business with that, moving outside of the wedding industry. Um, But I thought, well, here's an opportunity actually for me to take a little of my own medicine. If I am building a business and we have a team, what does our team look like? What are our values? What is the equity issue here? What are the equality components? How do we want to approach who we have an opportunity to bring? And how do we think about all of their various voices and perspectives we need to inform really good analysis that speaks to all Americans, not just a larger subset who tends to kind of fuel the conversation? Right. And it's one thing that I was always impressed with Amy, besides the fact that I really like her and I love hanging out with you guys. <laughs> um, 
is that she would go on differing, she would go on Fox News, she would go on MSNBC, and they liked having her on both because she was nonpartisan, because she was a, a I'm not just going to say a voice of reason. She spoke facts without the mm-hmm. partisan leaning, without bringing in which so many other people, it was clear that chip on their shoulder when they got in there. She was there because she knows what she's talking about and she mm-hmm. was able to speak the facts. And then she could go over to the other channel, which had a totally different audience, yeah. and and speak the same thing without that lean, which again, turned me off and I think so many people off to a lot of these uh, channels is, okay, just tell me what's going on. I don't yeah. need your twist on that. Let me let me interpret yeah. it my way. <laughs> yeah, 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 thank you. I am yeah. so proud of her. She is incredibly talented and I yeah. think amongst the best out there. And her ability to, I sort of liken her to being a bit of an oyster, sort of filtering all this water to produce these beautiful pearls. Yeah. Uh, and um, it's, uh, it is to me, I mean, I'm, I've always been supporting her and everything she's done in her career the, to actually be able to participate in some of the ground game of that. And to really yeah. support this is, it's just such a privilege and joy. So uh, I did not expect <laughs> this, but I'm game. So here we go, you know? <laughs> but, see, but, but that, and that brings us back to the whole idea of the pivot. The pivot sometimes comes to us. And, and I've said this on other things. I think it was the Roman philosopher Seneca who said that, you know, luck comes when preparation meets opportunity. Mm-hmm. You know, you you mm-hmm. guys were ready for this moment, not mm-hmm. necessarily looking for it, but ready for the moment. Mm-hmm. But it also shows what a good partnership is, is, you know, Amy gets to do what Amy does without mm-hmm. having to worry about the back end. Mm-hmm. If Amy had to start worrying about the back end, that takes her focus away from mm-hmm. what she does so well mm-hmm. and probably doesn't want to do this other stuff, you know, that mm-hmm. was with Carol and I, when I, we were publishing wedding magazines, I'm out there making sales and with dealing with the sales team yeah. and all that. And she's in the office because that's what she's good at. And yeah. that's what a good partnership, the right people in the right seats. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And really working in concert too. I think one of the things I've learned over the years too, and this is one of the things I really value about um, our marriage. And I think I see it already moving into the working together piece, which is we each know that we have our specialties uh, and I don't even bother thinking about like testing a hypothesis on certain things I know nothing about. I now just am like, Amy, what do you think? <laughs> Finally, <laughs> I learned that. Um, yeah. But I will say that there's this really interesting gray area overlap area where each of us has had to learn from the other to take on some of those skills. So as an example, I, you know, I have no problem, as we've discussed, making friends, talking. I don't mind selling things, selling a good idea, selling social justice, helping people understand opportunity. I'm not going to sell it if they don't want it, but I have no problem making a case for it. Well, I can do that all day long. Amy has no interest in doing that. (laughs) So, but part of this job as business owners is like our employees depend on us. It's really important that together we are out there in our various ways, really helping to sell, if you will, to use a little too broad a term, what we do and what it's about. And so when we, I think, are at our strongest is when we are each learning to borrow from some of the skill sets from the other one and then applying it in the space. And for me, that is, I think, what's most exciting about this, because Amy is as humble, you know her, she's so humble. Um, And I'm excited to watch her step into this incredible role as a leader, as a publisher and editor-in-chief, and all that that means for her, even if she'd rather just like, let me just sit here quietly and do really good analysis. (laughs) Right. Well, I, I'm working with a client uh, and they have uh, many, many venues and they have uh, regional managers, general managers, assistant managers, whatever. And what I'm going to be working with them on this month is leadership, because a lot mm-hmm. of people get themselves into a leadership role 
but don't understand what it's like to be a leader. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, leader is not necessarily a manager, right? Some mm-hmm. leaders have to be managers, but it's different things. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, leading is different. Leading mm-hmm. is different. Mm-hmm. Uh, allowing other people. I, I said this to a client recently. I said, you know what? You gave your your person responsibility, but you didn't give them authority. Mm-hmm. And if you gave them responsibility without authority, mm-hmm. you can't, if they fail, you didn't give them the, the authority right. to do what they want. Right. And failure just means they tried something and it didn't work. So right. applaud them for trying. And then what did we learn? And right. let's move on. Right. But but leadership, and again, people that have moved, have pivoted themselves to a leadership role, you have to learn what that means. And a lot of times that means hands off. You mm-hmm. have people. Mm-hmm. But, if, but if your people understand your why, and you didn't say this specifically, but your team understands what the political report is trying to do. What mm-hmm. is our why? Mm-hmm. And I, I, I always tell companies, don't write a mission statement and give it to your people. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> if they had no part in it, it's not their mission. Yeah. It was your mission. Yeah. They have to understand, like, why do we do what we do? I'm very clear on why I do what I do. It is mm-hmm. not for the money. It is not for fame. I get emails from people and say, Alan, I'm going on vacation with the extra profit that you helped us make. And, you know, I get a little teary and that's my why. <laughs> but but that's my yeah. why is yeah. I'm having an impact yeah, yeah. on people's lives. Yeah. People having more weddings and better weddings. And then those businesses are profiting more and their families are better mm-hmm. off. That's my mm-hmm. why. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, I could do something else. Right. <laughs> I right. could do something else. And you're very clear, you know, wherever you are, you are who you are. Mm-hmm. I also love that you you challenge people and, and you've done this to me, not in a you're wrong way, but like you just, you know, like you did earlier, you know, about the article, that's, that's a non-confrontational way of pointing out something I didn't know. Mm-hmm. And that's something I love about you is, you know, you'll speak right up about that. And I'm like, you're, you're right. Mm-hmm. Um, when I read your, your book, you know, The Art of Capturing Love, the narrative that you wrote through there opened my eyes because I thought I was open to same-sex weddings, which I opened to the concept, but I didn't know what I didn't know. Mm-hmm. I, I never thought about two people in a park and the photographer saying for their engagement shoot, mm-hmm. kiss. And they're like, we don't want to kiss here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I never had to think about that. I didn't yeah. have to. And yeah. the narrative that you wrote was not, hey, you need to know this. It was just there yeah. for me for me to discover. Right. You know, it's interesting. First, thank you for those acknowledgments and that feedback. That means so much to me um, because it often feels scary to raise something that might hurt someone's feelings or they may not be prepared for. And I've over the years been, um, you know, working on that art, if you will. And obviously you and I have a longstanding relationship and I always feel sharpened in our conversations. And so when you find folks like that, you know, what a value, what a value. So I appreciate all of that. I would say to your reflection about leadership, you know, I was thinking this just as you started saying it, but this is one of the expressions of leadership I feel that I've come to is recognizing you are your own person. You don't need to, me to tell you what to think or how to believe, but I can find a way to introduce something and trust you to engage with it as a thoughtful adult. And I, as a, you know, sort of, um, if you were to put me in a box that sort of goes way back, a bossy older sister <laughs> you know, uh, and a competitive athlete. I just am always high pressure toward here's the directive. And especially the more I do this work, particularly in the area of diversity, equity, inclusion, the more I realize, and this is true in the political discourse, as we can have conversations 
where we take responsibility for our experiences, we have just a little bit of courage and willingness, and we find a way to introduce something that lets the other person engage with it, it would just make a world of difference. It's the point that you said about um, give people the responsibility, but then also the authority to do something about that. And I, as I experience the discourse of the last few years, uh, we are enforcing responsibility on each other without giving each other the space to actually have some authority to make some adjustments. Yeah, I remember being in a job where uh, I left because the boss didn't like that. I asked, why do we do this this way? Mm-hmm. You know, he didn't want yeah. voices. It was just do this. And I yeah. can't I can't work in that environment. Yeah. Uh, I also realized one of the keys to Carol's and my happy marriage is that you can't change someone's mind. Mm-hmm. It's not yours to change. Mm-hmm. But like you just said, I can provide information that she or somebody didn't have. Mm-hmm. They can go, huh, I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. And now because I know that, I might think differently about it. I might mm-hmm. not, mm-hmm. but I have the ability to think differently mm-hmm. about it because I'm presented with that mm-hmm. information. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's, again, I, I, I joke, but not joke that it's part of our happy marriage is I, I yeah. can't change her mind. Mm-hmm. And, and I've stopped trying. A younger me, yeah. I will say this, <laughs> you know, a younger me like you, you know, I'm, I'm a very take charge person. A younger yeah. me is okay, da, 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 da. And you can railroad people and people shut down and people go away mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And and now it's like, you know what, I, hey, did you know, did you know this? Or did, you know, did you happen to see this? And we just, I, I could probably name 10 things that happened this week. Could be minor, but, you know, you can't do it this way. Oh, but did you see that? Oh, yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. And I think that's the thing is you're not trying to change someone else's mind, but have them go take off your blinders a little bit or, or widen your lens a little bit. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, Look what's over there. Yeah. What's over there. And yeah. that's important in life. It's important in business. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, the whole point of if you have a team and you want to not have your hair on fire running around putting out fires all yeah. the time, then let your people do their job. Train mm-hmm. them well. If you mm-hmm. didn't train them. Uh, when I was VP of sales at the Knot, if someone was underperforming, I never said, hey, you know, your numbers suck. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because you knew and I knew. Right. What I said was, Hey, I know you're capable of more than this. What am I not giving you? What do you mm-hmm. need from me right. to help you perform at the level I know you can? Right. And if we could come up with something great, more training, more tools, whatever it was, mm-hmm. some people, you know, there was a point where it wasn't the right seat for them. Mm-hmm. And other people then started to go because there mm-hmm. was something they needed. We just mm-hmm. needed to talk about it. Mm-hmm. That's to me, that's what that's leadership. Yeah. So, yeah. So, now, I know this is only brand new for you. <laughs> so uh, for those people not familiar with Cook Political Report, again, you can go look it up. I'll put a link in the uh, in the show notes so people can see it over there. I, uh, we we enjoy all the, we get all your notifications and stuff here. Carol and I won't go into the political junkie stuff over here. Um, do you see any little turns, any differences from what Amy's been there? You know, again, you said it's her second term there. Uh, any big changes, any looks to expansion or anything that we should be looking you know, for? You know, one of the things that I really love about this company, and this is really true to the founder's vision, is it is very much a family-run business. And, you know, I encounter businesses like this in the wedding industry, you know, groups that are, I would call like small but mighty, um, groups that are very clear in what they do. Um, and, you know, I'm not interested in growing something to scale it and sell it, which is sort of one version of Right. Some of that happens, particularly around some of these newsletter and digital products. 
Um, what the cookbook report does is so specialized. And I would like to be part of a group that creates a really wonderful place to work and a place that's very ethical, it's very intentional, it's very professional, but that we leave room for invention, for uh, evolution. In, I mean, there is so much happening in our political landscape in a way that is, you know, it's just that the terrain is changing. And there need to be, in my, this is just my opinion, really responsible, ethical parties helping with the narrative. Because we're at a very, I don't need to tell anyone, like an uncomfortable time. Uh, we've, there are people who have lost friendships and family members over disagreements. Everything feels very high stakes and very polarized. And um, to the point that if I say, hey, we're a nonpartisan independent publication, folks are like, that. yeah, that doesn't exist. I'm like, well, actually it does, but I see why you say that. Right. So, so for me, the expanding work is to help people believe in that again and to understand that there are journalists who are doing really excellent work and take a lot of pride in it. Um, but if we can also keep that piece of the analysts who work very hard in two-year cycles <laughs> to have a little bit of life and for me to give to them part of what Charlie gave to us by giving us a safe space with a lot of independence um, and a lot of opportunity to grow. I just, I feel like I would look back on that and feel really good about it. And I think we have a, in Washington, we have some great opportunity to bring some non-white voices into the conversation because Washington has been, um, you know, for most of its history, it's mainly been white men who have just dominated the conversation, have been at all the tables. And so it's really exciting, particularly we are a gay owned female-owned business. And we are one in an industry where that doesn't really exist. I'm not sure if, I think there's a there's a website called the 19th that's woman-owned and woman-run. I'm not sure if there are any other outlets like that. So from a, like a pioneer standpoint, that is a really neat challenge uh, because I want other people to say like, oh, that I can do that too. It's not that that's impossible to get to or um, right. that there's no way I would know how to do it or I can't envision myself doing it. So, you know, but I'm going to be growing as a person. This is the first time I've had a payroll this big. And um, I am learning a lot uh, on the back end of HR. And I'm learning more about a higher level of responsibility to a team, especially because this one is functioning at a very high stakes national level. Um, and our team is so good. The things that they say can make a difference in what happens. And so we have a lot of responsibility on that very public platform to do a really good job. So that excites and scares me all at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So it brings me two thoughts. One is somebody sent me last Christmas a bottle of a bourbon from a woman-owned, woman-run distillery in Oregon. Oh, that's which cool. Is very good and a very cool bottle. So I'll make sure I save a little bit at least for when Thank you. to print them. Sounds good. Uh, and the second is a, is a question. You have a team doing nonpartisan reporting, mm -hmm. but people... People are partisan. People mm -hmm. come to the table, I'm sorry, they come to the door, mm -hmm. not the table, they come to the door, maybe the table, with their views. Yeah. And I'm sure differing views. How does a reporter mm -hmm. deliver truly nonpartisan information when human beings are partisan? Yeah. So it's a great question. Um, and how what the team in the Cook Political Report does is slightly different is that they aren't journalists in the traditional way of, as you think of reporters writing a story with quotes, getting people on record, 
um, and then through their other conversations, presenting the piece. Uh, even though those journalists, many of them have been to school and they've been to journalism school and they are taught these skills, much like people in the wedding industry go to conferences and learn some of these background skills that are important to helping them be effective and good, not just intuitive, but really good and intentional and professional in what they do. The thing that makes Cook Political Report different in this is that they have the trust of everyone and they uh, connect with sources, whether it's people on the Hill, whether it's members themselves, whether it is folks in advocacy groups or political action committees, whether it is especially pollsters, whether it is the Republican Party or the Democrat Party, they are connected and have what we would call background conversations constantly. And the journalists at the Cook Political Report aren't ever interested in scoring a point by breaking news. They want to hear the truth to put it into the hopper of collecting facts from all of these places. And then the pure human art form as true analysts is to basically, to my oyster analogy earlier, filter all of it and then come up with that pearl, which is, here's what I think is going to happen. So these metrics have really changed in the old days. They're looking at how much money has a campaign brought in? What kind of candidate is this? What sort of district are they running in? And now with social media, with the kind of social media fundraising that can happen, the personal donor, the shift with Citizens United and the dark money that can be raised, um, the way that advertising has changed, there are all these new factors, again, at a very highly polarized time. And so our analysts are using their background sources and otherwise trying to anticipate a whole new media ecosystem as they try to make predictions on what will be happening in any given campaign or election. Okay, which is why we need you. <laughs> <laughs> so say again, that's not what I do. <laughs> right, that's not, uh, but, but I, I work with people who do. <laughs> and, and and you know, I think that but that's always a great lesson is you need people who are really good that's at right. what they do but don't try to make them good at something else. That's right. And something I work with a lot of my clients on is, you know, what do you enjoy? You know, like mm-hmm. what brings you joy? Mm-hmm. I I love doing what I do. And it doesn't feel like work. I, I just mm-hmm. finished writing my next book. Carol's going to read it through and tell me what's wrong with it now. And, <laughs> but that's her job. Yeah, that's right. That. Um, and, and again, she knows my voice. If my voice isn't there, she knows that kind of stuff there. But yeah. we need to know what we're good at. And I, I've met so many really nice people along all the years I've been doing things. And they're just not in the right role. They're not mm-hmm. happy doing what they're doing. One of my sons mm-hmm. was actually recently that. And he changed roles and he's very happy. And then mm-hmm. family life is happier, right? Everything mm-hmm. is happy. Right? Mm-hmm. That's right. So, you know, the money is a necessity because we live in a world where things cost, right? We mm-hmm. have to have it, but the money doesn't make the job better. The money mm-hmm. doesn't make you happier at work. The money doesn't make you a nicer person. It, mm-hmm. it doesn't do that. So, mm-hmm. well, we could definitely talk forever. Mm-hmm. We, we, do, we do that um, and we should. Uh, and it is so good to have you on and talk about this. And I, I want to have you on again later after you've been doing this for a while. Yeah. Let's come and revisit this. That's cool. And, yeah, and I'd see, love to. See how the whole family business thing is going, because that's a big thing in the wedding and event industry is family yeah. businesses. Yeah. Um, so the the website for the Cook Political Report is? Cookpolitical.com. Cookpolitical.com. I'll put this all in the show notes, all the links, all the things there. Thank you. Catherine, thank you so much for sharing your your wisdom with us. So good to see you. And I hope to see you in person, hugs and bourbon. Likewise. I know, Alan. Thank you for this opportunity. I have missed all my pals in the wedding industry. So for all of you 
out there listening, uh, we've had a chance to speak at the conferences. I just want to say how much I appreciate and miss you in these these COVID years and non-conference years have been a little sad and lonely, but I think of you often. So Alan, thank you for this platform and I wish you the very best. You too. Thanks. Hi, it's Alan Berg. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Wedding Business Solutions Podcast. You can find full transcripts on my website at podcast.allenberg.com. And if you have a suggestion for a topic for a new episode or even a guest, please let me know at alan at weddingbusinesssolutions.com. And if you'd like to find out about having me come and speak to your association or a conference or do sales training in person or remotely for your team, whether you're a team of one or a team of a hundred, please let me know again, alan at weddingbusinesssolutions.com. Thanks for listening.